So let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we will begin. Lord, we thank you that uh, you've given us your word, that uh, you give us challenges at times for us to think about certain things, to consider certain things, and this is one of those parables written for us as disciples, uh, followers of you, to uh, get us to um, help us to realize uh, a bigger picture than we might be seeing. So we love you, Lord. Thank you for uh, sending your son and uh, making these truths clear. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You take your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 16. We are working our way through Luke. Luke had a number of parables that he had that were unique, and we've been working through chronologically through the parables, but it just seems like we've stayed in Luke, kept working through here because he's giving us these parables. But this parable is uh, one that, uh, as we start off, we, we already know the audience. Okay, right from the start. Uh, Luke 16, 1 starts with this statement, and he said unto his disciples. So when you're looking at your notes there, it just simply said this is the parable that Jesus told was directed to his followers or his disciples. Okay, these are the individuals that would consider themselves, you know, by today's vernacular, Christians. Okay, these are ones that have been following Christ, following around, would consider having listened to some of the things that Jesus said. They hadn't gone away from him, uh, some of the challenges he had. And so you have these individuals that would be ones that you would say, okay, these are uh, kind of the core of Jesus' followers, not just merely peripheral. Now, we do have peripheral individuals who are not disciples. Um, you get to verse number 14, which is not necessarily in our section here, but verse 14 says, And the Pharisees also, who were covetous, heard all these things, and they derided him. They mocked him for actually saying this, uh, what we're about to go through. So you had the inside crowd of his followers. Okay, you have an outside crowd that he's going to address by the story that we'll look at in two weeks, uh, which I don't call it a parable, Okay, the story in the next week is a story, and I'll give you the reason why I think it's a story later on. Uh, it's not a parable, but a lot of people call it the parable of the rich man Lazarus. Uh, but there are indicators that, to me, is not, it's not a parable, it is a story, it is a true uh, nonfiction uh, thing being detailed. So, two groups, but the main, the main group that's being addressed, not Pharisees, but people that we would say are just like us, uh, hopefully, that we're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, uh, that he addresses this story to. So let's just read through the parable. It, it goes from verse 1 to verse number 8. And it starts this way, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods, and he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest no longer uh, be no longer steward. And the steward said within himself, Well, what should I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses." Okay, no explanation of who they is, but you're going to find out who the they is. Verse number five, so he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, 
take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. Then said he to another, and how much uh, owest thou? And he said, an hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he did, because he had done wisely, for the children of this world are in this, their generation wiser than the children of light. Now, you see him called the unjust steward here, and I've titled this the parable of the shrewd steward. Okay? Uh, there's a reason for this that I don't go with the unjust steward because it's not so much about him being unjust. Well, we get the wrong focus if you're thinking that. Uh, there's another aspect that's going to be very important. Now, this parable is uh, one not focusing on the rich man, but on a steward. Okay, a steward, your note uh, puts, puts there, is just simply one or an individual that would be responsible, okay, the, the, the responsible party for the care of goods and property of someone else. So they're responsible for the goods and property of somebody else, managing the business of a household. And I give you the example, it's a blank there, and if I was to say so-and-so in Potiphar's house, who is in Potiphar's house? Joseph. Okay, Joseph is a steward. I mean, you have the story there where uh, Potiphar is, uh, you know, buys him as a slave, but over time realizes this is a responsible individual. I'm going to put him in charge of everything that I have to the point that Potiphar only cares about what's sitting in front of him for the meal because he's just like, Joseph's taking care of everything else. It's obvious the Lord's blessing him. He knows what he's doing. He's managing my goods. He's managing my business uh, for the household. I can go and do my job with uh, Pharaoh and all these other individuals I have to take care of. He's managing my house well. Joseph didn't own any of those possessions. Okay, he was just a manager of it uh, and the goods and the supplies. That's what a steward did. Very common uh, back in ancient culture to have uh, a steward as part of property uh, if you were a wealthy individual. Now the problem in this parable was that this manager did not do a good job managing the property and found himself about to be fired by the owner. Uh, the owner sends him a message, probably through a messenger, and just said, uh, hey, I, I hear you're messing up here royally, and uh, I'm going to call you in to officially fire you, is basically what goes on here. So this man, what we begin to get is he's going in between getting the message and going to the boss. He's, he's taking some time to do this, but uh, before he goes to the owner and gets officially fired, and he thinks through, okay, he, he thought ahead to his future and did not like two of the options for employment, okay? There's two options that he thought through and said, uh-uh. One of them, he says in verse number, um, verse, I got my, turn my page here, uh, in verse number uh, three, he says, I cannot dig. Okay, now, I, I don't know why he can't dig. Uh, maybe he physically wasn't able to do this, but maybe it's just his training. I mean, you think about this. There are some people that do construction all the time, and you got the people who are desk jobs managing things, and you don't want them doing construction projects and that type of thing. There's, just, you know, there's a different skill set going on there. Um, it could have been that the guy just doesn't like physical labor, but he just looks at it and goes, uh, I don't want to dig. 
And he also has this, is that he doesn't, as you have noted in the blank there, he did not want to be humiliated by begging. I mean, he's had this official position with this rich man, and he's, you know, got the uniforms and the clothes to go along with it as if he's a rich individual and he's dealt with rich people and businessmen and the like and for him to suddenly be alongside the road holding a sign as people drive up in their chariots or ride by on their horses or walk by and he's holding this you know uh you know give me food you know you don't believe my situation beforehand he he doesn't want to do that it's embarrassing to him so he doesn't want to beg i mean those are the two options he has but he comes up with a third option and the third option is one that is really is going to be a help for him in the future by his activities in present time. Yeah, the bottom paragraph, and it just simply says this. He brought in individuals that owed the owner debts, and these are large debts. I mean, not massive like the one steward we had way back when or the individual who was responsible the king that owed uh, 10,000 talents, which is basically the income of a nation, um, and he had to pay it back. Uh, it, the debts aren't this large, but for us, we don't quite understand uh, the size of the debts by some of the terminology was there, but he comes and gets the first individual who owed olive oil. Um, and when the man comes, he says that he owns a hundred, um, the terminology is that he owes a hundred measures of oil, uh, I put it into what terms would be today. He owes 800 gallons of olive oil. I mean, what we're talking about here uh, is not just one olive tree. This is a, a whole, you know, farm worth of olive trees uh, producing oil, getting 800 gallons of oil. And what this man says is, okay, I reduce that and you just cut it in half to 50. Uh, so it's, it's the number there would be 400 gallons. So it goes from 800 gallons he owes to 400 gallons he owes. The next man comes and he owes wheat. Uh, the exact measurement we're told here, he owes 100 measures of, uh, or excuse me, uh, 100 measures of wheat. Uh, if we were to do that in our uh, terminology, uh, he had about a thousand bushels of wheat that he owed, and the man goes, knock it down by 20%. So now he owes 800 bushels of wheat, which would be uh, a fairly decent crop uh, of wheat. And you know, some people, you know, get into the technical details. Why does he calf it for the person who has olive oil and not for the guy who has wheat? Um, there's some cultural things that are understood as far as interest in those type of things that olive oil would have been uh, the more valuable commodity and more expensive uh, and thus chopping it down uh, was a, a better deal. Whatever the case is, he's reducing what these people owe. And you say, does he have a right to do this? Well, he does. He could, and you have this quotation marks, he could legally reduce the debt. You know why? Because he's the manager of the man's goods. He conducts the business for the household, so he can do whatever he wants. So if he was suddenly the manager was to go, you did what? He could go, you know what? That's my responsibility. It's my thing. He, he couldn't be taken to court because he's the manager. He's been given the official responsibility. So legally he could do this, though it's a loss to his master. 
And as you then go on, you go, why does he do this? It did not benefit his master, but these, and I put it in quotes again, his new friends, you know, his newfound friends, would be able to take care of him in the future. What he's doing is that he is going, okay, I've done a good thing for them. I'll come back to them when I'm fired and go, hey, look, I did something nice for you. You got some business connections for me. You got a job. Do you have somebody you know? I mean, you go back to these individuals and say, I was nice to you. You need to be nice to me, okay? I need help. So that's the parable And you flip over your notes, and the very first thing that ought to be going through your head is this. There's a problem with this parable. We don't like the Lord using as an example a shady con man, conniving, manipulative man. I mean, you look at this parable, and the Lord, the main character, is a a guy that you wouldn't really want to after you see what he does. You really wouldn't want him to be around him. You're afraid he'd be working some sort of deal, um, and uh, you'd be afraid of him. And for us, we just look at this and go, how could the Lord use this individual and hold him up as an example for believers? And we have to understand that he might, you know, he'd be the hero of the story, but it does not seem right that the Lord would commend the individual. However, it's not the individual being commended. It's his, and I I put it this way, his shrewdness. Okay, and I use that term because it's a little bit different than what you have in our English text here. The man gets commended by his boss for doing this, and it says this when you read verse 8, the Lord or the master, the owner of the property, commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. It's not the normal word for wise, okay? We look at that and go, well, he's got skill in living, and that's, you're going, no, 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 he does have skill, but that's not what we're talking about here. It's a word that in the Greek means this, to have foresight. Okay, that's the the blank that's there uh, when you talk about this Greek word. It's foresight or looking ahead. This man is commended for looking to the future. Okay, that's what he's being commended for, not his actions and not his activities. I mean, we're going to get to another parable here later where you have another character and he's not commendable you know, what's that one? Uh, it's the story of the widow who comes to the unjust judge, man who doesn't listen to anybody and doesn't care about anybody. He's just the judge of the town and, and that. But you get to the end of the story, and he goes, listen, I'll answer her because she keeps asking me. And you're going, well, wait a second. He kind of represents God. God's not like that. And you're going, well, wait a second. He's, we're not looking at the character of the individual. We're looking at his activity. His action is saying, okay, God responds to our persistent prayers. So this parable here, we don't like the character. But the Lord says his activity is commendable. And, and the, the Lord is a master storyteller. He doesn't tell the stories the same way with the same type of characters and whatever. I mean, this one would have initially gotten people a little bit upset that, you know, this is the character you're recommending to us until they figured out what the Lord was addressing and then go, oh, okay, they would be thinking. 
You know, you don't want those people to figure out your stories. I mean, there are some people who are storytellers and you know where the story's going. Even though you've not heard the story before, you know what this character is going to be like and that type of thing, and that's going to be the way the story's told all the time. The Lord's a master storyteller, and in this case, he's got this character that you wouldn't want to be like, but the Lord surprises us by saying there's something that you need to have that he has. And the final statement is this, is that in verse 8, the Lord makes this, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. He's saying sometimes the people in this world are more insightful than Christians are. Sadly so. They, 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 they have something going on in their activities that shows a little bit more foresight than believers who ought to know better and see certain things. So that's, you know, the difficulty of the parable. This man, but we're not looking at the man himself. We're looking at his characteristics. So the Lord then gives the application of the parable. This is in verse 9. You, you see this statement, I say unto you, Make to yourself friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye, f- when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much, and he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. If therefore ye have not been faithful in the unrighteous mammon, who will commit to your trust the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that uh, which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one, love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Now let me just stop here for a second, and it's not in your notes, but you may want to mark this someplace. Uh, you get to that term mammon and you're going, what is it referring to? It's just a term to describe not only your monetary, the money that you have, your monetary possessions, but it's referring to all of your goods. Okay, so it's basically a, a word that we would describe all of your possessions. And when it says the possessions, the mammon of unrighteousness, it's not saying that money is evil. Okay. What it's saying is, it's the money that is used in this life that's not going to last, okay? It it doesn't have eternal value uh, or anything, uh, so it's got this idea that it's kind of unrighteous. It doesn't last forever, okay? So uh, understand when the Lord uses that terminology, that's what he's describing, our possessions, financially, uh, our money, and also the goods that we own, now, in your notes, it says this, the consideration for the disciples should be how to use our worldly possessions wisely. Okay, how should we use them? Well, this, uh, it's going to be in contrast to another group of individuals, and that's the Pharisees. The Pharisees were, verse 14, anybody got a, a, an answer there? They were covetous. Okay, what the Lord's going to do is he's going to shift from talking to his disciples after the Pharisees mock him, and he's going to turn on them, and he's going to turn on these individuals who are desiring goods, possessions. See, what you have in the notes, these Pharisees thought that the goal of the present life was to do God's law so that they would have material possessions. You know, well, where did they get that from? 
You know, I can't believe they, they even assumed that. Well, they read their Bible, and in Deuteronomy 28, this is where they were getting it from. Deuteronomy 28 is the children of Israel before they enter into the land of promise. God says to them, you do my law, and I will bless you. You don't do my law, I'm going to curse you. The problem for the Pharisees was this, is they go, oh, look, if I just do what God says, he's going to bless me with goods. Forgetting the fact that you don't just merely do things in order to gain something, what God was wanting with the law was that people were responding with a hard attitude. We love God, and we do certain things, and God says, I'll bless you as my people. You're you're acting like you you have me as your God, and I will bless you. But the Pharisees were just simply gone to the fact of missing the whole emotional and the attitudinal part of the relationship with God. And they're just like, hey, you know, I do these things, I'm going to get something. It is very much like today the culture of the health and wealth prosperity gospel. If I just do a bunch of things, God's going to bless me in this life. He's going to be happy with me. He's going to be delighted with me. And I'm going to get good stuff. I'm going to have a fancy suit. I'm going to have a nice car, a big house, good health insurance, and good job. Great wife, great children, because I've done certain things. That, that's the level the Pharisees had gotten to. If I just simply do right things, God's going to bless me. And for the Pharisees, their problem, and you have this note after Deuteronomy 28, God promised blessings uh, of the land for those that kept his law. However, the Pharisees' focus on the present accumulation of goods was this, in order to show off, okay? They want to show off. What do you mean they were going to show off? Uh, We've had a series of parables before this in 14 where guys would go, hey, come to my feast, Look at me, what I've offered you. Now, when you come to this feast, you better do some nice things for me at your feast. I mean, this is what's going on in the heart of the Pharisees here. And so they were attempting to show off to others and consume them, their, their goods, for their own pleasure, which was not the intention of God. God was not giving the blessings of the land to the nation of Israel for them to go, oh, hey, I get to consume this, and I get to show off and do all this to all the other nations and go, hey, look at us. We're better than you are. God really likes us. So this is is what's going on in the background of all of this. It's it's talking about possessions and the way that you think about them. The Pharisees have it wrong. The Pharisees, you find in that final paragraph, a focus on possessions brings one into slavery. I mean, this is what you have there in verse number 13. Okay, you can't have two masters. You love the one, hate the other. Uh, But you can't serve, you can't be a slave to two masters. So it's either that you're going to be a slave to your possessions or you're going to be a slave to God, but you can't be both. So what he's indicating is, okay, something about my possessions I've I've got to get right, and what is that uh, thing that I need to get right? And it goes right back to the story. The man in the story had foresight 
to look to the future and go, what can I do with my possessions right now for things that are far in the future? And what God is uh, going to deal with here, okay, the focus on possessions brings one to slavery, does not free but binds. A person truly cannot serve God if they're looking to possessions alone. What God wants from his disciples is a future or shrewd look ahead. Where are true riches? Not here. Where are eternal riches? Not here. I mean, the Lord has already, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, tried to get this across. Lay not for, up for yourself treasures upon the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves do break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth and rust do corrupt and neither do thieves break through or steal. He, he's trying to go set your affection on, and Paul's going to give us this one, Galatians or Colossians chapter 3, uh, set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. See, what, what he's saying is this, with the possessions that you have, you need to use them with the thought that, okay, A, they're not mine. And I really didn't emphasize this in the note, but this is, this is something to th- consider. He does say it in here. The possessions aren't yours. None of the stuff that you own is yours. Oh, yeah, it is. I got the title to it. No, it's not yours. You know, I, I've got, you know, I've got the documentation. It's all mine. It's due to me for, you know, a million years. It, no, it's not yours. Especially when you get to the point of dying, then you really realize it's not mine. It's going to go to somebody else. So my whole life is stewardship. I'm like Joseph. I'm like this manager. And I am dealing with my goods and my possessions throughout my life, and I ought to be going, what am I doing with these goods and possessions for the future? And not, you know, in the sense of giving my family good insurance, you know, you, you know th- this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about eternal things. What am I doing for eternity with the goods and the possessions I have? And it doesn't just simply say your money, your possessions, everything you have. What, what, are, you, what are you using these things for? Now, what are you using your car for? What are you using your house for? What are you using your money for that is going to reap eternal benefits? A friend of mine that um, <clears throat> talks about, and uh, he's the guy who wrote the foundations, or his church was the one who wrote the foundations material that we've kind of gone through, but he, he made the statement, I buy time. He goes, you can't buy time. You know, you can't buy time. He goes, yeah, you can. He goes, you can buy time with people. You say, how do you do that? Hey, you want to go out for a coffee? My treat. What? You know, okay, great. You know, want some ice cream? Hey, let's go have some ice cream. Uh, you know, I, I think about some of the things that he does, and, you know, his son plays basketball and has done that for years in college and has uh, some professional things to him. And what he'll do sometimes is go, you know, I got tickets. You want to go to the game? With an unsaved person. He goes, I'll drive you down, take you back. You go, what's he thinking? I got three to four hours with them. And what he's done is he's bought time with goods and possessions. And you go, for what purpose? 
just so that you can have an entertaining time. Okay, that's a side benefit. God gives us all things richly to enjoy. He does do that. We have to remember that. But, but we don't live as if this is it. That's the whole argument of Ecclesiastes. You can live and enjoy all the goods that you have, but realize you're going to have to stand before God someday. Um, for us, like this man who was shrewd, he's going, okay, I'm going to make friends with my possessions and goods right now. But the thought pattern for us as just believers, what am I doing that's got eternal, you know, eternal goals and purposes that I'm using my possessions, my goods with? And at this point, you, you, you could also include your time. I mean, you, you do have possession of time. It is a gift from God that you steward. But you kind of go, okay, so I'm supposed to be like that manager where I'm, I'm thinking ahead, dealing with the goods I have right now. What do I want to be happening in the future using the stuff I have? Do I want to see others with the Lord? Or do I want to selfishly consume everything upon myself and never care about anybody else and then get to heaven and go, what did I do with my possessions? Nothing. I had a great time. And the Lord's going to go, well done, thou good and faithful. And we can insert this word, word, steward. They're not going to hear that. Because they took the possessions God gave them and just kind of consumed it upon their own lusts because that was what they thought they should do with it rather than going, wait a second, I'm not staying here. There's someplace else I'm going to that I ought to be gaining true riches. And you say, what's true riches? True riches is not that you get a crown to wear around in heaven and you get to you know, wear that as a badge to go around. No, there are things that have eternal value. And, and the most important thing is other people's lives. Amen. And so for us, this is the Lord saying, okay, you, you know, pay attention here. You use your goods for eternity. Now, you get to the end of this, and the Pharisees are laughing at him. They're just like, what? You know, who, who, who talks like this? You know, who, who says, you know, don't get possessions and goods because they're God's blessing? And the next story is the story of Lazarus and the rich man. I don't call it a parable because this would be the only parable in which Jesus uses a specific name. He doesn't use a name for any of his characters. You know, the king, you know, whatever, but he never uses names. This one he does, because to him, it's not nonfiction that there is a place called hell. Or excuse me, fiction, excuse me. It's not fiction. It's a real place. So he's not making this up a story. And so what happens is that the whole mood of everything's going to change and the Lord's going to, in the next one, address these individuals that desired to be rich. In some cases they were. And he's going to tell a story about a rich man and Lazarus. And my, my, my take on this and just, you know, in reading this throughout the years, why doesn't he name the rich man? everybody would have known who Lazarus was and they would have known the rich man who died. You kind of go, so he would have been probably a Pharisee. You're going, yeah, because think about it. The story starts off and he's enjoying and eating sumptuously every day. 
You know, this is how he lives his life. And then he dies. And you go, you go, what happened? He had no foresight for the future because immediately what happens, he lifts up his eyes being in torment. No, no, no forethought. He's just looking at this life. And then you got a guy who has nothing and he's got true riches. Uh, he had the foresight to realize with his goods and possessions, you go, what were they? Scraps off the table and clothes on his back. That's all he had. But yet he had garnered the true riches, the things that were really important because he had the foresight. He was shrewd. So we're going to get to that. We're going to look at some of the details of that next week. But I, I don't call it a parable because I, I think it is a real story about real individuals, and I think the reason that the people are named and unnamed is the fact that they would have known who this rich man was because they would have known who Lazarus is. So anyhow, you can think about that and talk through that in your head uh, whether you agree, but it, you read the context and you read how it goes and you just kind of go, yeah, the Lord's, the Lord's hitting them right where they would be like, oh, Really? So, yeah. Any thoughts on this uh, one? It is a strange one because of the, the unjust steward, but it, it's got a purpose. The uh, Lord addresses, so. You have a blank. Okay. Uh, Pharisees. Outside listeners of this parable were the Pharisees. Uh, Joseph. Mm-hmm. Uh, foresight. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That in the the idea with looking at what this, the shrewd man's doing, he's looking ahead, and the Lord's concerned that his followers aren't looking as ahead like they should. They're not they're not being shrewd with their possessions, uh, whereas this man's being shrewd with his possessions and looking ahead. Though his looking ahead only gets him in this life, not beyond. And so that's kind of the the the, the target there is that. You know, believers hopefully are looking ahead, but for his crowd here, they're just looking at the here and now because some of these disciples are following Jesus and going, oh, you know what? He feeds us food. You know, we were there at the 5,000, we're feeding at the 4,000. He, he provides stuff right now, and he's kind of going, wait a second, you know, what, what are you going to do with this? There, you know, even him giving out the food, there was a purpose behind it. They had eternal uh, matters to it, so he's trying to challenge his disciples. You're going to have possessions and good. What are you doing with it with a eternal eternal outlook so yeah so yeah you can you can learn something from the worst of society by their actions and that's what the lord does it's, it's kind of the irony of the whole whole story so